at Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, this is our fifth Sunday, looking at verses 1 through 6, and next week we'll move on to verse 7, so uh, at our breakneck speed as we're moving through. So uh, have that in front of you as we look at this and prepare our hearts uh, for our time in the Word together. Beginning at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for kindness and mercy that has sustained us through life's journey. Even in this past week, you have come to us where we have been weak and given us strength. Where we have been sick, you have given us healing. Where we have been sorrowful, you have given us consolation. Father, where we have been confused, you have given us answers, and where we have been lost, you have given us direction. Father, we recognize that you alone are sovereign and you alone are able. And so we rejoice that in kindness and grace, you have reached down to our lives to guide us and to lead us. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would keep planted in our hearts and ever before our minds to rely upon you and to trust you and to know that your ways for us are always good, always a blessing, and always the best for us. So, Father, even as we thank and we praise you, we also commit ourselves to be surrendered to you, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the end of the paragraph. Paul has been encouraging the readers of this Ephesian letter to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And just, just give us a, sort of a review of what that means, uh, that God saves us by his grace. He calls us unto himself. We learn in Romans chapter 8 that that calling is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So uh, that's why you're here on planet Earth. Uh, that is why God saved you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your purpose is to glorify God the Father by looking more and more like Jesus every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, I want you to live that out. Be, be worthy of that. Have, have a life that looks like that calling that God has given you. And then he goes on to say, and that, that will result in your working together and living together in the body of Christ, in the church, where Jew and Gentile have been brought together, this great uh, divide of prejudice and and uh, suspicion against each other has been taken away, that Christ has broken down a, a barrier wall between you, and now he's brought you together, and now you have a unity. And then in verse 4, Paul just launches into a list of things, and he says there's just one of each one of these. There's seven things he mentions, the body, the church, the spirit, the hope that we have in Christ, the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, our faith, our faith in him, our baptism to share and express that faith, and then one God and Father of all. And it is to that very last of the ones that we turn this morning, having looked at the others, we look at God uh, the Father, just one God 
and Father of all. Now, um, we always like to pause and, and, and point out the Trinitarian uh, structure of things. You know, people say, well, where does the doctrine of the Trinity come from? It comes from verses, passages like this one. You can only understand it with something like the doctrine of the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons. And we've talked a little bit uh, in the past about how to understand that and, and what that might mean. But uh, there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and in our way of thinking then, Paul sort of reviews that, and I'm going to say backwards, you know, because we always go Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Paul starts with the Holy Spirit, and then he talks about the Son, the Lord, and then he talks about God the Father. But there is no order in the Trinity. There's no ranking in the Trinity. It's not like the Father is God first class and Jesus the Son is God second class and the Holy Spirit is like God third class. No, there is one God, three persons, each person fully and totally and completely God. Uh, and so um, we, we are looking at them in an order that's not the usual order, but nonetheless, it is looking at the one God in three persons. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because that's what the Christian gospel is. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he got through the message. Remember the message? Jesus, God sent him. You killed him, but God raised him. Therefore, repent. That's, that's the whole gospel right there. God sent him. You killed him. God raised him. And the people cried out and they said, what shall we do? You know, now that you've told us, we've got all this this uh, understanding in front of us, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say you might receive it. He didn't say later on you could receive it. He didn't say if you work real hard, you'll receive it. He didn't even say if you're really, really emotional and have enough self-confidence to, to worship out loud and actually lift your hands above belt level, which I haven't reached yet. Um, but, uh, you know, if... If, you know, he, he didn't say, then you receive the Holy Spirit. No, if you receive Christ, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise is for you and for all those whom God the Father has chosen. See, so the gospel is all about the Trinity. God the Father who chooses us, saves us through Jesus Christ, gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in our lives to bring us through Christ to the Father. So, in, in point of fact, the salvation experience is a Trinitarian experience all along. So, as Paul's been going through these verses, 4, 5, and 6, he's been talking about how we experience the Trinity, just some of the ways in that regard. The Holy Spirit brings us together in one body and gives us that hope and that confidence that sustains us in life. The Lord, Jesus Christ, it's the one in whom we place our faith and we express that in the waters of baptism. And so um, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and now that's all leading us to the glory of God the Father who is God and Father overall. So that's what we turn and we come to look at that this morning. Now physicists uh, have been looking for something called the TOE. T-O-E is the theory of everything. What they're looking for is one equation that will pull everything they know about physics into just one mathematical equation. And so far, they've done pretty well. 
uh, with uh, quantum mechanics, they've been able to bring together particle theory, and, they, and they've got just one equation that brings together the, the, uh, the, the three of the forces that they talk about, the, the weak and strong nuclear force and, and uh, electromagnetic. All, they, all that's down. They've, they've gotten that pretty much together, but there's this pesky little thing called gravity, and they haven't found a formula for that. But the theory of relativity can explain gravity, and, the, and uh, particle theory can, and quantum theory can explain, you know, the, the, the other three forces, but they can't bring them together. They want one equation. Is everybody with me here? Because I'm, you know, in, in my mind, I'm just really having fun with it. But anyway, the, what they can't do is they can't bring everything together into one equation. They're looking for a theory of everything. Folks, we don't have a theory of everything. We have a God of everything. One God of all. And that's what brings it all together and gives us unity. You know, you ever feel like your life is being pulled apart in like a thousand different directions? You, you go to work and, and uh, you know, the, the manager people, the boss people, they're, they're telling you here's what you need to do and they want you to concentrate on the project and get the work done and manage things this way and you use the resources. And so you're, you're being pulled about, about how to work uh, at, at work and you're pulled in one direction. Then you go home and suddenly rather than this hard-nosed leader, worker, person at work, now you've got to be the kind and gentle uh, husband who's not grumpy and, um, you know, those kinds of things. You've got to be kind to the children and, and, okay, that's fine. And then you go out into the marketplace and you've got to deal with, with people and try to be civil and polite to them even though you don't want to, and, you know. And, and so your life is being pulled in, in, in a thousand different directions. And the reason for that is we're looking to a thousand different people for their expectations and we're trying to meet them. The grand theory of everything is that God alone is sovereign. And your life has unity when you know the one true and living God. And that is through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our lives are fragmented, but they come together. Our lives have unity when we know the one true and living God. And so as we look at that verse, this, this is verse 6, um, we, we, we have that, that, that focal point, and Paul says there's one God. Now, most of us in this room, not all of us, but most of us in this room are thinking, well, duh, yeah, everybody knows there's one God. Folks, not everybody knows there's only one God. In the days of Paul, when he was writing, everybody knew that there were many gods. And you, you could just tell there were many gods. I mean, when it rains, it's because whoever the God is in charge of rain is, is unhappy with you. You've got to keep that God happy. And if you're sick, it's because, you know... Uh, one, of the, one of the gods is mad at you and is doing something else. You've got to go find the, the doctor god, Asclepius. And, and if you're having trouble in, um, in, in your marriage, uh, let's put it that way, then, then you've got to go find the marriage god. And so you've got to go find Venus and, or Aphrodite or whoever it is. And, you know, so everybody could tell. I mean, it was just plain to everybody. There's a bunch of gods. And these pesky little Jews come along and they say, no, there's only one god. There's only one God, and that's why they got persecuted. The Jews came along and not only said there's only one God, they said not only is there only one God, your God is no God. There aren't any other gods. There's just one God, and he's our God, not your God. And they got in trouble for that. And the Christians, of course, came out of that as, as the Messiah Jesus fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament and, and all that sweep. And so the Christians came along and said, yeah, that's right. 
And uh, there's only one God, and you know him through Jesus Christ, and that, that's, that's about the size of things. So it wasn't plain to everybody that there was just one God. See, we live in, in a society that's been um, shaped and formed by Western philosophy, which means basically the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition and thought patterns uh, have, have shaped the way people think uh, out of uh, uh, the, um, the Western tradition. And so we say things like, well, there's only one God. Everybody knows there's one God. And the rest of the world saying, uh, wait a minute, that's not so clear to us. See, a lot of the world holds to polytheism. Polytheism means there's many gods. Most of the world believes, or a lot of the world, not most, but a lot of the world, they, they, they think, well, there, there's many gods. They're, they're just about equal. And uh, pick, pick the God that suits you, that's going to really work for you. And and uh, you worship that God, and you worship all the gods at once, and if you keep all the gods happy, sort of like a, a juggling act, then, uh, then you'll be okay. And so mo- most of the world is polytheistic. Yeah. Worshiping the temple of the, of the pantheon, if you will. I, I won't go into the architecture of that building and the purpose of it, but, but the idea of the pantheon is that uh, we, we get all the gods together and we worship them all at once, you know, sort of like an eternal brotherhood week. So, that, you know, they're all, all working together. But a lot of the world is, is polytheistic. There's many gods, and we've got to worship all of them. Then uh, there are those who are, and this is a small advancement, but only small, that are henotheists. Uh, henotheism is the idea that you worship one god at a time. There are many gods, and you've got to deal with many gods, but I'll worship my favorite god right now, and then maybe later on I'll worship another god. Um, I'll, I'll sort of be like a, a retired person who travels from the home of one child to another, to another, to another, and is welcomed in there with open arms and asked to stay for months on end. <laughs> I got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> But anyway, so, uh, but the idea of henotheism is one God at a time. And then, but there, there are many gods out there, and I'm, I'm just taking, taking them one at a, at, at a time to worship. And, um, there, so there's polytheism, henotheism, and then there's monolatry. Monolatry, you, you know the word idolatry is the worship of idols. Monolatry is the worship of only one God. And the idea here is, well, there's many gods, but I only have one for me. And I'm worshiping my God, but you go ahead and worship your God. I'll worship my God, you worship your God, and we're all fine. And this sounds so open-minded. It sounds so, so uh, considerate and, and rational and so forth. You have your God, I have my God. And, and it leads to nutty, nutty kinds of things like it doesn't matter what God you worship as long as you worship some God. Folks, it matters which God you worship, you know. It matters if you worship a God who is actually the creator, who can sustain you, who can redeem you, who can save you, or you worship a God who's sort of an amateur at it. It matters. You know, a lot of the world today has monolatry. That is that they, I'll worship one God, but you worship your God. Now, into the midst of this, along come the Jews and then the Christians, and we believe in monotheism. And that is there is only one God, period, end of report. There is one God... And he's our God, and your God, if he's not our God, is no God at all. Now, that's not arrogance. That's simply stating what's been revealed to us in Scripture. See, God, through Moses, told the children of Israel this. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God, and he is one. 
And because God is one and only one, you're going to love him and serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. That's just the natural conclusion of the fact that there is only one God. That's a radical thing. And, and frankly, if you get that straight in your mind and you start to realize how many times you're playing around with henotheism or polytheism or monolatry or whatever, then you realize, no, that the Christian faith is a monotheistic faith. That is, we believe there is only one God. It'll reorder your life and re recalibrate your life in that regard. So Paul starts out and he says, okay, I want you to know there's one God. Now that word God suddenly gets in the way. Um, what do we mean by the word God? How do you define God and all this? Um, and uh, this, this will not surprise you, but I would probably have some difficulty in defining God for you in the next uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, I mean, you just don't define God like that. But I tell you what, out of his grace and mercy, we experience God. And we come to know him. Do we know all the depths of who he is? Of course not. Can we describe everything about him? Of course not. But do we know him in Christ Jesus? Yes, we do. Paul says there's one God. Now, and among other things, which you have to realize, this God is a personal God. One of the things we learn about God from the very opening pages of the book of Genesis is that he speaks. He speaks creation into being, but then he speaks to Adam and Eve. He converses with them and talks with them in the, in the garden. He talks with Abraham. He, he speaks and converses with Moses. Now, I don't understand what that means. I, I can't give you an exact picture of how to, how to portray that. I, you know, uh, but what we do know is that God speaks to us in many and various ways. And when he speaks to us, he speaks to us personally. God is not a force. May the force be with you. God is not a force. He's not just a principle. He's not an abstraction, like an abstract truth of some kind. God is personal to us. He reveals himself as personal to us. And because he is personal, he calls us to be Persons with him. In fact, you know, if you ever want to just, just think through, how do human beings actually become real persons? I know, you know, the sense everybody's a person, fine. How do you fulfill that? How do you, how do you realize what that really means? You can only do that in a personal relationship with a God who is personal. And so God is personal. And God is spiritual. He is not material. He's not a collection of things, but God is spiritual and beyond us. Uh, one of the ways you, you think about that is God is creator. He is not creation. See, if God was just the best parts of creation, he would not be creator. He would just be an extension of creation. God is not creation. He is creator. And what that means is he's well over, above, and beyond us. To say God is spiritual is to say that he is not to be discovered just in a, in a mechanical looking at the universe. Although you see his handiwork, he reveals to us to, uh, himself to us as spirit. You remember when Jesus was at the well in Samaria and the lady came up and uh, they, they had the conversation together. We won't go into the, the fullness of it. But, um, and you've got to admire this lady. 
she, uh, she begins to quiz Jesus on matters of theology. And, and I think that, that that is such a great self-image to have. But she, you know, she starts arguing with Jesus. And one of the things she says is, Jesus, where are we supposed to worship God? Is it in this place here or is it in that place there, that place in Jerusalem? And one of the things Jesus says in reply to that is, he said, look, if you think God is bound to material things, you're missing the boat. Because God, and this is the words of Jesus, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is spiritual, and he calls us into a spiritual walk with him, a spiritual uh, relationship uh, with him. Uh, and then God is glorious. You know, a bunch of things we could say about God. But when I say God is glorious, uh, I'm just thinking here about the attributes of God, his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his beauty, his kindness, his mercy. Um, you know, all those things that, that go in to, to show us who God is, they are glorious things. And they are glorious because they are on a level just beyond our comprehension. Here's what I mean by that. There are some folks, that when they think about God, and they say, well, God is good. What do you mean God is good? Well, I know what good people are like, and God is like that, only a little better. I know what good people do, and God does good things, only a little better. I know, I know what a good thing to, to do is and what a bad thing to do is, and God does nothing but good things. And so it, it's sort of thinking about God as though he were a superman or superwoman, if you want to go on that edition of DC Comics. But the, um, thank you for those who left. But uh, uh, it is not as though God is just like we are, only better. Way beyond, above, different, not just a different league and a different ballgame. It's just in a different orbit entirely. God is glorious in his goodness. He is glorious in his righteousness. He is glorious in his mercy. He is glorious in his love for us. When we say one God, we're talking about one glorious God who is glorious in who he is and absolutely glorious in all that he has done. Glorious in that though he is, uh, you know, just absolute, in the absolute perfection of his own being within himself, yet in kindness and mercy reaches down to us in our sin. And doesn't just give us a post-it note with the suggestion about how we can do better, but he sends his own son gives his son for us to die in our place that we might have forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, that we might come to know the Father through the son that he has given to us. This is a glorious thing that God has done. So I, I, I would just, you know, think of that word glorious. He's a glorious God, and God is sovereign. And this is where it's personal and this is where we retreat. You know, as long as we can think about God sort of in an abstraction from ourselves, that, that's fine. But if you truly know God, you know that he is sovereign over all that we are, all that we have, everything that we do. He is master and Lord over us. And by the way, once you realize that, once the Holy Spirit gives you the conviction and then the courage of faith to embrace that, once you realize God is sovereign over my life, things get a lot simpler. Now, I know it's difficult to know the will of God, and I know that it's hard to do the will of God, but here's the point. 
the, the aiming goal is there. It is the glory of God. The glory of God because he is sovereign over us. And so now, in every realm, you're just focused on who God is. The glorious sovereign over our lives. So this is God um, coming to us. Paul says, there is one God, and then he says, and Father. Okay. Now, again, we live in a Western society, a Western influence society, I'll put it that way. And so when you say God is Father, he's Father of everybody, oh, yeah, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. Let's buy a Hallmark card and, you know, something like that. But uh, this is not obvious, certainly not to the rest of the world. I was trying to find a religion that calls God Father. I couldn't find one. Islam will sometimes say God is like a father, but they're, they're, they, they find it anathema to think of God as father who begets anything at all. So that's that. Um, the Jews speak of God being like a father, but it's from Jesus Christ that we learn that God is our father in heaven. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. See, there's a sense in which you can say, well, everybody's God's child. Oh, okay, that's, that's a little weak and a little thoughtless and careless, but, you know, we're all God's children. We're all created in the image of God. So it doesn't matter what we do. We're all God's children. There's a sense in which that's true because God has created all of us. Every human being on planet Earth was created to reflect the image of God, among other things, to reflect the glory of God, the majesty of God. That's the purpose for which every human being was created. And every human being has distorted and twisted and corrupted the image of God. Now, every human being is valuable and worthy, worthwhile, has value because of God's creation of that person. But we have rebelled against that and we have distorted that. And what God created for good, we, we, we have just used in all kinds of sinful ways. So there's a sense in which you can say, well, you know, we're all God's children. But, th- but that's, that's just like saying, well, we're all human beings. You know, we're all created by God. Um, you know, that doesn't mean you can, uh, what, uh, well, anyway. I was about to chase a rabbit, and uh, lunch is calling. But uh, so, um, but there's a general sense in which God is father of everybody. But there's a, there's a more special sense in which God is like a father to his chosen people. You know, to Israel. You know, Israel often spoke about um, the fatherly attributes of God. And, and uh, in fact, at one point, God says to them in, in the book of Malachi chapter 1, he says, if I am your father, where's the honor that's due to me? See, when God is your father, there's a consequence to that, and God called them out on that. So there's a peculiar sense in which God is a father to Israel, to his chosen people. But again, even Israel said, God is like a father unto us. It was Jesus Christ who said, God is my father in heaven. It is Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, our father who is in heaven. See, it is Christ who taught us God is our Father. And that is uh, the, the case as we come into the family of God through the shed blood of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the sense in which God is the Father. In fact, one of the favorite phrases that Paul uses when he refers to God is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Okay. And that's sort of what he's, he's getting at here. So he says, and so this is God and Father, specifically the Father of Jesus. And now because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, and now we call him our Father, our Abba. Not because, you know, we're, we're great and we deserve it, but because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and, and the book of uh, Galatians says, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father, to God. So when Paul says, there's one God and Father, you know, these are not simple concepts. These are very specifically focused in what God is doing in Jesus Christ to redeem a lost humanity unto himself. So, one God and Father. And then he says, of all. And again, there's a sense in which God is Father of all creation, and, you know, it's a general sense in which God is Father. But there's a very specific sense in which God is the Father of all believers in Jesus Christ. And in that sense, Paul goes on to say, who is over all, through all, in all. Um, these spatial prepositions simply say, God is the totality of the environment in which we exist. And this God is worthy of our praise. So we come to the end of the paragraph, and Paul is saying, I want, you to, I want you to live out your calling. I want you to be what God has called you to be. But as you do that, keep the focus. Keep the focus on the one God and Father. Keep your focus on the one Lord and your faith in him and the meaning of your baptism in the, in the confession of this shed blood and the, and the broken body and the resurrection of Christ. And there's one Holy Spirit that we experience in this great company of God's people called the body of Christ, the church, leading us to one hope that we have in the promises of God. That's our unity and that's our focus. And so in a moment, we're going to be coming to the Lord's table. And as we come here, we come together for just one reason, and that is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood shed, his body broken for us. That's the only way we can come to this table is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as we come, we come as one with one confession, one devotion, one commitment, and that is to God the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would just challenge you to live your life under these one things, okay? Paul mentions Ephesians 4, uh, 4, 5, and 6. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. And then you'll find your life coming together and being unified. Let's pray together. And Father in heaven, I'm just so thankful and grateful that you have shown these things to us and, and not just to uh, excite the mind or to educate our thoughts, but Father, you have shown these things to us so that we might be conformed to the image of your Son, that we might give you glory in the way that we live and walk in the footsteps of Christ. I'm thankful, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that, that changes our thinking and guides our, our, our living. And I would ask that you would continue to work to mold us and to shape us so that we would look more and more like Jesus each day. Father, let your name be glorified in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name.